My name is Penny Lacasso and I am the world's first happiness hacker. Imagine a world where human happiness and well-being drove our decision making. A world where technology was used to amplify human potential rather than replace it. The Human First podcast is designed to encourage you to explore your curiosity about the future of humanity. Our conversations are focused on building skill in intentional adaptability, creating the foundation to positively influence the future for yourself, but also for others. Join me here each week as we put humans first. Speaking today with Mike Butcher, who is the editor at large, because you're often not where you're meant to be in the context of London, which is home. Editor at large is a roaming, roaming job. At TechCrunch, we're going to have a chat today about trends that you're observing with technology and interested not only in the trends, but how you see this impacting society. The three big trends really are artificial intelligence, blockchain and robotics. Those are three big ones. And... Robotic, when I say robotics, I mean or autonomous cars, I'm uh, talking about like autonomous systems and uh, the marriage of hardware with AI. Other number of trends, you know, sort of fintech or biotech, but they're all affected by AI and increasingly many of them will be affected by blockchain technologies as well. And what are you observing in terms of who's kind of out there just like disrupting things, you know, like interesting people that are kind of just coming out that you've observed, like someone who's disrupting in in one of those spaces with some very interesting tech that perhaps the general population may not know about? All of these technologies are basically being used by corporates and being used by entrepreneurs. Certainly in blockchain, this is very early, right? It's almost like the mid-90s in terms of the, the industry. It's infrastructure. At this point, it's infrastructure. There are no real consumer applications uh, in blockchain other than the one that you will have heard about called Bitcoin, yeah. which is a consumer app, uh, cryptocurrency. You know, anyone can use Bitcoin. But that's like, you know, crawling on the bottom of the ocean for that space. We're already familiar with, you know, the Amazon Echo and the Alexa. And AI is now the big battleground of the big technology companies. Uh, GAFTA, Google, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, and AI is really how they're going to be able to run their businesses in the future. It's also a a war that's available really mainly, oddly enough, for the first time only to the biggest companies. Mm. It's very hard to be a startup in AI. Because of the cost involved? Costs involved, and it also requires huge data sets. So if you have Mm. to have vast, vast amounts of data in order to apply your algorithms. And the people who have that data are the, the big ones, the big giants. You don't really start as an AI startup anymore, or it's quite rare. Yeah. Uh, now, if, if you can, it means you're going to you know, maybe raise venture capital, and maybe, but a lot of the time they get acquired. It's a huge talent war. Uh, most, most of the uh, uh, smartest people in, in Europe have been hoovered up by DeepMind, which is the company that Google bought. Yeah a few years ago. Uh, so that's that's a massive, massive trend at the moment. What are you, I mean, I, I do a lot of work in the fear space and we sat and had a conversation with a group of people the other night about, you know, potentially technology evolving into a shared intelligence, yeah, a collective intelligence or a collective consciousness, yeah. which is, you know, pretty um, confronting for a lot of people. So in the context of what you're seeing and where technology is going, what are, what are the things that you fear 
around technology? Or what's your biggest concerns in that? I just don't think that there's this so-called collective intelligence mm. or collective entity will, will exist. The issue is about ownership. Yeah. Uh, and the ownership will be massive company like Google or Amazon. Uh, Amazon definitely wants to be an AI company now because the more they can predict what you want, the more they can sell, sell. To, sell to you mm. and the more services they can provide for you. And it just creates this sort of aura around what they do that will you know, supercharge their business. The thing about exponent, uh, AI in particular is it creates an exponential effect on a business. Once you put AI into a business, mm. you get to create an exponential effect on productivity, on output, and it's like a drug. Yeah. As soon as you've taken it on, there's no way you can go back. Go back. You can't go back. And effectively, AI weaponizes a business against yeah. every other competitor. Every it's an arms race at that point. And if you can't, in order to be able to stay in the game, your competitors must apply AI to their business as well, and on and on and on. So AI improves the product that you output, which means more money which means, and more data, which then feeds back into the business, and then you get the AI lock-in loop, where more money, more data, creates a better AI, more money, more data, better AI, more money, more data, so better AI. So it divide. Bang, much, bang, 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 a bang. A bigger divide between those who are up with it and those yeah. who potentially can't keep up. You know, yes. the divide, because, yeah. Yeah, but an exponential. Mm. Uh, so whereas, you used to be able to introduce a new technology in, into an industry and it would give you an incremental bump. AI has an exponential effect from, you know, skyrocketing, you know, the J, literally the J, J curve going straight up. So that's a massive, massive uh, effect uh, on business and on society as well. It means that it, those of us who don't tap into these things will, if you think we were left behind before yeah you, you know you ain't seen nothing yet I'm gonna take you on a different path now you have done some amazing work with refugees and starting pretty much a, a global movement around supporting refugees in being able to thrive in the new communities in which they've integrated so talk to us around the concept of tech refugees mm. and how that started and, and why you're passionate about it well, it was 2015, it was uh, summer of 2015, I could see what was going on in terms of the humanitarian disaster that was happening in the Mediterranean, people were dying, mm. uh, children were being washed up on beaches, and I just thought, this is crazy, it's the 21st century, this can't possibly be happening now. And uh, I also noticed that uh, they were using smartphones, refugees from Syria in particular were using smartphones to communicate, access access services or things that they could navigate their world. And I thought, well, the technology industry is good at problem solving and it's good at problem solving at scale. Mm. And what we had on our doorstep was a problem that was a massive, massive problem that needed scalable solutions. And in the past, most of the humanitarian responses are about chucking food and tents mm. out of an aeroplane at 10,000 feet and then distributing water bottles. And these solutions aren't scale, sc scaled, they aren't scalable things. So I thought technology really should be part of the solutions or at least try and help alleviate the suffering of these people or help the, the NGOs and the charities who are dealing with them. And I didn't have the answers at all, but I thought we've got to be involved. I was walking along the street in London, I just was thinking refugees, technology, technology, refugees. Hold on a minute, tech fugees. I just put them together, put up a Facebook group, put up a Twitter account, and a small, more, simple website, and 
I just emailed everyone I knew and said, come and join me, let's you know, go on this journey together and let's try and figure out what we can do. Even if we can figure, even if we figure out we can't do anything, at least, at least that's a win. Yeah. And about nine days later, I held the first TechVGs conference in London. Uh, we did a hackathon. It turns out that actually people were coming up with ideas about, for instance, uh, how would you, how do you create a, an early warning system to protect women inside refugee camps and children? How do you uh, distribute food and logistics better? And that you, what you've got also is that NGOs and charities are using technologies that all traditional businesses use but they're not the modern versions you know they're still doing things on excel spreadsheets yeah. they're still emailing each other when they should all be on slack they should all these kinds of things and uh, it was also a proper potentially a process for us to you know give them to access to 21st century ideas mm. that, that they might not be aware of it was actually obviously people lots of people were having similar kinds of ideas and it was actually a few months later that the UN, uh, UNHCR and UNICEF both independently started to form their own innovation labs, but they hadn't at that point. And so I think there was a bit of a pressure from the community and there was also pressure from the fact that they could actually maybe leverage some of this stuff. But TechVGs wasn't really about you know, help, you know, just being part of UNHCR or UN, it's actually about uh, us as normal entrepreneurs, wherever we might be, whether it be Melbourne or London or Paris or or uh, or a Greek island, you know, um, being you know with refugees washing up every day, that you know, bringing our skills. And now what happened has happened is that is that we've done things like hackathons where you'll bring technologists together with refugees, you co-design solutions, or you come up with products that might employ people. And the reason why that's important is that this is about changing the conversation around refugees, yeah. you know, taking the word refugee and turning it into an entrepreneur, right? Instead of saying, this person's gonna be a drain on society, this person's gonna to contribute to society, and oh my God, not at just the level of, you know, coming in and contributing and having a job and flipping burgers or whatever, but at a high level, skilled jobs, skilled employment, skilled entrepreneurship, I'm not going to come into a country and take a job. I'm going to make a job because that's what the country wants. And every country today, there's a dearth of people in the technology industry. There's a dearth of skills. The talent war is constant. Yeah. So why are we leaving these people on the side of the road? Many of them very often uh, skilled people from whatever context they were in before have had to flee for their lives. And let's do that. And uh, why would you not? And it changes the conversation politically as well. I can't get a politician to walk into a refugee camp and say, we should give these people jobs. It's not going to happen. No. I can get a politician to come to a tech for G's hackathon <laughs> and say, oh my God, uh, uh, let's give these people fundings for their businesses. You know, And that changes the conversation and it gives them an ex uh, the permission yeah. to change the conversation around refugees and the whole political conversation that unfortunately that we have to have. How many countries is this now operating in? So the idea for TechFugees wasn't to own anything, it was mm. to say right, you, you know, whoever you are, you, whatever country you're in, if you have refugees or even if you don't have refugees, set up a TechFugees chapter, get people together, start looking at these issues, co-design particularly, if, you know, importantly, bring refugees into the into the process, co-design things with them. They're the ones who know about the problems. Yeah. 
and then and go for your life. And we ended up with 28 chapters all around the world, and about roughly we've estimated there are about 15,000 people have been you know involved in a Tech Fugees event or had a touch point with Tech Fugees. Um, we're now a non-profit in France and a non-profit in the UK, and we've now been well this year in 2018, nearly three years later. Uh, we're now being sponsored by the Soros Foundation, and we last year we had our first global summit in Paris to uh, talk about technologies that help refugees, to talk about design thinking, uh, um, problem solving for NGOs and charities, that, um, workathons, uh, policy groups, you name it. And it's a different way of approaching, approaching these problem. things. Yeah. And it's been fantastic. And what's actually been incredibly rewarding is that here in Australia, outside of Europe, has been the most successful set a group of Czech Fugees chapters on the whole planet. We've got Tech Fugees groups and there have been Tech Fugees events in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, Brisbane which is amazing, you know, and uh, uh, all power to the guys who, who set up the first ones in Sydney, people like Annie Parker and her crew. Um, who I knew from London, luckily, and it's just been fantastic, you know. It's I think that's absolutely amazing, and it just demonstrates how, you know, the world of technology, you can, you can have this overlay of care for other people, yeah, and use it as a force for good rather than just making money, so to speak. And effectively what you're doing is you're future-proofing refugees, yeah, by giving them, you, you know, helping them to thrive and survive. You're also future-proofing the host society. Yes. Uh, against um, uh, polarisation, racism, mm. and uh, and everybody benefits. They benefit economically and they benefit socially as well. And they're more integrated. Like this is, it's easy to integrate. Into this is the time. way. This is like this is like the new movement of so-called impact investing, mm. which is creating something which you know is sustain economically sustainable and does good at the same time. So my last question for you is given obviously the insight and the overview you have of the world of technology, so many people um, when I do the work that I do are worried about being left behind and so the reason you know we've started talking about future proofing and creating you know conversations like this is about helping people understand what action they can start to do now to build skills for the future yeah because we know that 65% of the jobs that exist today won't exist but exist by the time my seven-year-old gets into the workforce so based on what you're observing what do you think are some of the key skills that are needed in the future? Like, what should people be out there trying to, you know, learn or um, do to skill themselves up? Well, the irony about it is that for a long time people have said uh, we should all learn to code yeah. and we should all um, become, you know, engineers. And that's not a sustainable idea, really, <laughs> frankly. I, I don't even know how to code. And I work for a technology outfit. It, I always knew, actually, that it wasn't going to be important for me to learn how to code or to, you know... Learn, you know, understand how to build websites or whatever. But what I needed to do was be able to flex and, and learn and stay ahead. You know, inform myself. Mm. So informing myself and keeping myself informed was as much more important than learning a skill which was probably going to become obsolete anyway. I mean, what's the point of learning how to code when AI will be able to be, do will, <laughs> will be coding? And in fact, there are now having. Uh, you know, the people who are creating AIs are now getting the AIs to build software and nobody knows how the software works. Only the AI knows how the software works. Oh. So that's going to happen and is happening now. The important thing, especially in a, in a world where uh, exponential top technologies like AI and blockchain will be existing, is understanding that you must stay creative mm. because uh, computers, despite uh, all of the predictions, won't be creative or uh, for 
a heck of a long time. Yeah. And human beings are capable of being creative. There's also going to be much more, uh, you know, the, the, the jobs of the future that will maintain themselves are the jobs that where humans need and to talk to another human. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? So you don't need to learn how to code to do that. Everybody can talk to another person. That's it, important. It's interesting, though, that you say that because one of the programs that I keep getting asked to develop is can you help us teach our people... Um, the art of human connection because we've we've kind of um, it's been eroded over time with technology yeah. and especially like the generations now um, the millennial generation would much prefer to connect with technology but um, you know I'm not, I'm not sure what the phrase is but say for instance you might, might call them late millennials but I think the conversation has circled back again to come back to humans we thought that you know everyone being on a slack group was going to solve all our problems of course it wasn't actually it created different kinds of issues yeah um uh, actually and coming back to how you work as a team one of the things that themes that i can't hear constantly the word i hear constantly is culture and you can't that culture is about human beings isn't it the uh, you know i mean they say that you know the people who survive in the future will be artists and entrepreneurs well yeah. that's very much at the extreme end of things but what is an artist what is an entrepreneur? Someone who thinks creatively, who flexes around problems, adaptable, adaptable mm. understands how to learn, not just knowing what to learn, knowing that to learn is something that they must continually Continue to, do. to do. So it's the only way we'll, we'll figure this out is if, is if we keep that in the back of our minds rather than going and learning a particular skill which was almost certainly going to be redundant yeah. you know, in a few years' time. And it's so interesting because one of the things I constantly teach is start with curiosity. It's almost like curiosity is being bashed out of us, you know, yeah. <laughs> as um, once we go through systems in our life. And it's almost like we've got to go back to being that, you know, inner child and curious about all this stuff that we know nothing about. Yeah. And don't, don't be afraid of technology. Jump in feet first. Mm. Um, all of the people who have made this technology, they're all throwing themselves off a cliff and assembling a plane on the way down. Yeah, it's they're all doing that. Yeah. They're all doing that as well. So you might as well uh, do exactly the same thing. Mm. Thank you so much for your time today. Okay. Thank you for joining us today on the Human First Podcast. If you loved your experience, please take a moment to leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher and provide us with a rating. If you'd like to access the show notes or learn more about what we're up to in the context of humanizing the future, jump on over to humanfirstpodcast.com. See you next week.